Johnson & Johnson earnings, the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is Industry Focus. Hi, Fools. Healthcare analyst Michael Douglas here uh, with our contributor from New Hampshire, Todd Campbell, and we're going to be talking today about Johnson & Johnson's earnings. Now, Johnson & Johnson, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, they don't just make uh, baby shampoo and, and Tylenol. They're also actually this sort of massive conglomerate uh, within healthcare that really spans three large industries. The first, of course, the one I just talked about, the consumer goods and sort of uh, over-the-counter segment, um, which is a relatively small percentage of the business, uh, under 20%. Um, and then next up is the uh, medical device segment, you know, things like stents, things like valves, um, et cetera, just a lot of stuff that's used uh, by hospitals and procedures. Um, and that is uh, well, a little bit under 40% of the business. And then the remainder is pharma. Uh, and so you have really these three very, in some ways, very different, but also somewhat related industries. Uh, I, I kind of think of Johnson & Johnson as a in some ways a microcosm of healthcare because you've just got these just sort of like weirdly different things kind of amalgamated together. Um, and they reported earnings. And, well, it was interesting. <laughs> we'll, we'll go ahead and start off with that. Uh, so J&J's uh, Q1 sales are $17.4 billion. It was down 4.1%. Their adjusted earnings per share of buck fifty-six, down 4.3%. Not exactly great headline news, but there are definitely some bright spots. Uh, Todd, let's let's start with the good. Absolutely. Hi, Michael. The um, the thing that I think is really important here about J and J is not only that it is the Goliath within healthcare. I mean, what is it? The only thing they're not into it probably is health insurance. But <laughs> you know, and, so, and hospitals. You know, like, they don't own any hospitals that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, so this is this is a Goliath. So it's it's a great proxy, um, but it's also important because it's a multinational. So it's providing us with a lot of insight because it's reporting. It's one of the first companies to report in the space. Um, it gives us a lot of insight into what might be happening with some other companies, uh, not, not just in healthcare, but in other areas that, that may be exposed to overseas markets. So I think it's, it's important that we're going over the good, the bad, and the ugly today. Um, and as you said, let's, let's begin with the good. And, you know, if you look at what the good is in this, in this report, um, I think that what jumps out at me is that they still have some really fast-growing drugs. Yeah. You, know, you look at the consumer business and you look at the med, uh, medical device business, these are slow-growing annuity-stream-type <laughs> businesses. These, yeah. are, these are not going to move the needle significantly one way or the other. It's the pharmaceutical business that can make a really big impact. Yeah. And within pharmaceutical segment, there were three drugs in particular that jumped out at me uh, as being bright spots. The first was a 38% jump in year-over-year -year sales for their anticoagulant drug, Xarelto. The yep. next was a huge jump in demand and sales for their diabetes medication, Invokana, which works in an entirely new way at helping people achieve glycemic control. Yeah. And then the third one was a jump from a mere $10 million in the sales because it had just been approved to $116 million in quarterly sales for Imbrovica, which is a drug that um, uh, Johnson uh, co-developed with Pharmacyclics. Yeah. So you've got three drugs there. You've got an oncology drug in Imbrovica. You've got a diabetes drug in Invokana. And you've got a, a, the anticoagulant in Xarelto that all saw dramatic growth year over year. Yeah, and, 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 and I think that's very 
it's well, of, of course, <laughs> on the surface, very good news. But also, even when you dig down a little bit deeper, um, you know, Zeralto up thirty eight percent. I mean, four hundred forty one million in the corners. Uh, what twenty? $2.2 billion run rate, something like that. I mean, that's really powerful growth. And um, given that they are in uh, head-to-head with uh, Eloquis, uh, it's nice to see that they are... And of course, you know, we'll see Eloquis sales soon enough. But nice to see that they are still definitely uh, growing very quickly. Um, at worst, they and Eloquis are perhaps not crediting each other out. At best, perhaps they're gaining market share. So that's a, that's a good thing to see there. Um, Imbrivica or uh, um, Imbrivica, as I usually call it, uh, you know, has has seen some uh, some recent approvals. I, I think they just got one for Waldenstrom's, um, which is a uh, uh, one of the type of uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphomas, um, and you've just seen really explosive growth there. That's been something that's really been talked about a lot as a growth driver for Johnson Johnson. So it's nice to see that they're delivering on that. Yeah, the you know Zeralto. I think the, what's what's exciting about that opportunity is that you know for 50 years it's been warfare, you right. know, cumulative. You, you know, you got to use this as your anticoagulant. This is the first time we've had next generation drugs for this uh, indication. Um, so I think what's happening is that those two competing drugs, they're not necessarily at the point where they're eating into each other's market share. They're more still continuing to win away business from warfarin, which then, suits, suits me just fine. <laughs> Yeah, right. And um, you're right. Um, you know, the drug with pharmacyclics, Imbruvica, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> the, potato, the constant tomato. problem in healthcare, yeah, potato, potato. Yeah. Um, you know, again, um, like you said, that's uh, analysts think that that could be a multi-billion dollar drug. And mm. so it's good to see that that's, that's gaining traction and, and delivering the goods. So I think those are three bright spots that investors can hang their hat on. All right, so let's talk about the bad then. Uh, and of course, I think the the headline there probably is going to be, oh gosh, uh, Zytiga looks like it might have lost some market share. That's their uh, prostate cancer drug uh, competes directly with Medivation's uh, Medivation and uh, Astellas Pharma's Extandi, uh, which recently got a pre chemo approval, uh, and its growth is slowing as a result. Yeah, I mean, in the bad camp, there are two things that I that that I want to highlight. The first was that you know sales of their oncology of Velcade that fell about sixteen point nine percent to yeah. three hundred and thirty nine million. Um, obviously, you hate to see any drug um, have their sales you know fall by double digits, but that's the nature of this business. Right. I mean, you know, new competitors are always coming in, patents are always expiring, and as a result, you have a limited shelf life uh, for drugs. Um, I think that the more like you said, the more, uh, the bigger focus in the headline on the bad front would be the Zytiga numbers. I mean, we're not going to complain that sales grew 8.6% year over year, right. but that is a massive deceleration. You know, I mean, this is a drug that was growing double digits, double digits, double digits, quarter after quarter after quarter. Um, and, you know, this was the first real test of how it would hold up once Medivation Estellus uh, Extandi got the nod for use in the pre-chemotherapy indication. Um, you know, in Johnson & Johnson's conference call, I just finished listening to it, uh, they said that they lost about 1.2% market share. Yeah, um, so that 30% of the market. Yeah. Not- yeah, so I mean, I, I think that that shows you that, okay, the competition is heating up in that space. This is still going to be a massively successful drug. I mean, you're going to have enough room for both players. But it's going to have a much less of an impact going forward than, say, Zeralta and Volcana and Improvica. 
Um, yeah, yeah, and 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 this is, I think, probably one of the reasons, um, and I, and I think it's underappreciated why uh, Johnson and Johnson, you know, has stayed in this conglomerate model with your slow growing or sometimes slow slow falling <laughs> OTC and uh, and um, uh, medical device segments is that you've got, you know. Y- Pharma is by nature a roller coaster, right? And so having kind of those like steadier cash flow, um, cash flow throwing, you know, cash throwing off businesses um, is a good thing, particularly if you are like Johnson Johnson, a uh, a dividend aristocrat. So definitely some some, I think that kind of highlights some of the importance there. And finally, let's talk about the ugly. I think that the ugliest part of this, and it, it's not just what you're seeing, going to see here in J&J, but what you're going to see across all of these multinationals is the impact of currency. Yeah. I mean, currency, currency, currency. This is going to be what people are focusing on uh, as all of these um, big companies with large international exposure roll out their first quarter earnings. You know, I, I think that what's, what's, it, it also shows you just how important it is for investors to do their due diligence and not just rely on the headline that's being reported. You have to dig in because you don't want to make an investment decision on a company that's a core holding like a J&J solely because you see, oh, well, the revenue on the top line started to slip or, oh, the, you know, the bottom line earnings started to slip because you need to also consider how they're doing operationally. I mean, if they're selling more of their products and they're generating more money in that's a very different situation in losing those sales to currency exchange than it is if you know they're selling less of those products and generating less money overall. Right. So you know you look at what happened in the first quarter, and you know I think that the, the place to focus on is Europe. You know Europe accounted for more than four billion dollars in J and J's sales, so a pretty big chunk of the seventeen billion. Yeah, call it what, and, a quarter, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and once you factor in the effects of the stronger dollar, you know, they reported that essentially flat operational sales, the reported sales actually fell 17.3%. So, I mean, you went from, okay, everything is going steadily, we're okay, to, wow, we just saw our sales fall 17% year over year in this market. Um, so, you, yeah, you have to dig in a little bit deeper here and, and see what's going on. I mean, a similar situation played out in the Western Hemisphere. If you look outside of the U.S., yeah. you know, they had a reported basis. The, the sales were down 3.3%, um, but that mass and operational sales growth of 9.9%. Right. So, you know, huge swings, yeah. you know, in pharmaceuticals, you know, across all of the drugs that, that J&J sells. On an operational basis, sales were actually up 10%. But when you back out all of the uh, currency exchange headwinds, it ends up growing just three percent, right? Which is obviously very uninspiring, right? Well, and 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 this is one of those things where you know the the market, a lot of investors, you know, are going to see the headline numbers and say, "Oh my gosh, you know, J and J, you know, what's going on?" Um, and, and and this is one of those moments where I, I you know I think this really highlights the opportunity for long term investors, uh, fools even one might say, <laughs> to to look at okay well what about the underlying business okay sure you know currency moves I mean that that happens I mean this is what happens when you're a multinational and and frankly you know as as you mentioned we always talk about being a multinational is kind of a good thing right uh, because that means that you're not just tied to one market if Europe's in a recession.
recession, you don't want to be a Europe-only business. If the U.S. is in a recession, you don't want to be a U.S.-only business. Like It's nice to have some of those other opportunities, especially when you have some of these growing markets like China, like Japan, uh, well, less so like Japan, someone in the healthcare spending, but like you know, like the BRIC companies, uh, countries, um, where you really have that opportunity with growing middle classes and with um, just so much economic expansion to make a lot of money for shareholders. And, and so this is the cost of doing that business, you know? Uh, so, so for what it's worth, I think it's always important to take that sort of long-term, long-term view on it. Um, so, so Todd, here's my question. Final thoughts on J&J. You know, you've, you've dug into the earnings call and, you know, we, we've both looked through the, uh, looked through the numbers. What do you think about the stock today? If you're a long-term investor, you have to look at J&J and say, this is going to be a company I'm just going to sock away for 20, 30 years. If your time horizon is much shorter than that, you're going to have to recognize that over the course of the next couple quarters, these currency headwinds are going to take a little while to shake out. Yeah. Um, so until then, it's going to be rocky. It's going to be a rocky sea for, for, for the shares. But if you're, again, if you're a long-term investor, go ahead and, and feel comfortable. I mean, this is obviously a... A uh, big conglomerate. They get their hands in all aspects of healthcare, pretty much. Um, and this is going to be one that you want to stick with. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely long-term bullish on J and J, if for no other reason, because, um, you know, it's got that emerging markets exposure. It's got other markets that's had the U.S. exposure. It's huge, and because it, it, it operates in those just very different segments of healthcare, med, uh, med devices, OTC, and sort of consumer. Uh, facing and then finally pharma for the growth. Um, it's a holding in my portfolio. Uh, Todd, I think it's a holding in yours, isn't it? I'm actually not in it currently. Oh, okay, you're not. A, okay, well, fair enough. But but if we get to a point where you know these currency headwinds cause people to sell down, it's definitely on the top of my list. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, well, cool. Good to hear. Um, no, I, I I think that's uh, I think that's solid. That's solid commentary. And and I mean, I, I, again, obviously, I'm a J and J bull because I own it. Um, but I think um, I think it definitely does highlight a lot we'll be wanting to watch in healthcare uh, today and for the rest of this quarter. And then also, again, the fact that a lot of folks are going to be very myopic about this and about other companies. They're going to look at it for the short term, um, ignoring really what the three and four and five and 10 and 20 year opportunities look like with some of these companies. Um, as well, keep in mind that folks who are on the show, and, and Todd and I have both disclosed about J&J, but you know, folks who are on the show uh, may have uh, positions in stocks. Uh, that are mentioned in the show, and The Motley Fool may have positions or recommendations, active or not, on stocks that are mentioned in the show. So just, as always, it's always important to do your own research, uh, think things through, and uh, hey, if you ever want to have more dialogue, just shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. Todd, thank you as always. For The Motley Fool, I'm Michael Douglas, and Fool on!